Welcome to a conversation with John Philpin. Each week, John cuts through the noise and fills your ears with interviews, stories, and most importantly, clarity. Clarity in our ever-changing and shifting world to put people first. Over to you, John. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever and whenever you are on this planet of ours. I am delighted to welcome to the People First podcast, Sid Mahasib. You're going to meet Sid in a moment, but what I can tell you is he's a wonderful man. He's written two books, one of which we're going to be spending a lot of time talking about today. He's an entrepreneur. He's an ex-CEO. He's a founder. He's a writer. He's a lecturer, professor, in fact, at University of Southern California. The man is the original Renaissance man, I would argue. But Sid... Welcome to the podcast. Say hello to the listeners. Thank you so much for having me. And I am delighted to be here. And uh, I hope that uh, I, can, uh, I, I can rise up to the level of your uh, introduction you made of me. <laughs> well, I think you've already done that, Sid. No worries on that front. So what I always like to start with trying to extract, if you will, from, from our guests, a little bit of their backstories to come to be where they are. So as I said just now, you've done such a lot with your life that most people would say, oh, university lecturer, career. Oh, founder, career. VC investor, career. You've done it all. So what causes those changes? What is there in your life? Because obviously a lot of this, I think, a lot of this comes from early formative years. What do you think has created this ability to move around different things in your early life? What brought you to here? That's a good question. I believe it's a, it's a belief that there is more to do, there is more to explore, there's more to create, there's more to learn. There's more people to see. There's just opportunity is ahead always. You mentioned something about my book. I'll, I'll give you one example of something that I talk about in there. Uh, imagine for a minute two points uh, uh, with a line connecting them. Let's call the first one point B and the other one point D. And if you connect these two points together, how many periods or how many points are there on that line? Well, it depends whether you use the alphabeticals. <laughs> well, yes. No, no. Just, just if you have any line between any two points, right, infinite there's number, infinite points on that. Yeah. Yes. So if you now assume that you draw a line between those two points, anywhere on there, anywhere, doesn't matter where, uh, how many points are there between that point and the end? Infinite. Infinite. Again. Right. Mm -hmm. So now for a minute, assume that the beginning point that we said, point B is where we are born, point D is the end where we die. And point C is anywhere along this line. It's today, it's now. Being eight years old, 18 years old, or 80 years old, there are infinite number of points, instances, and each have tremendous amount of promise in them. They're not the same, but they each have tremendous amount of promise because we can make a decision, we can make a choice, we can do something with it. So I believe that regardless of what you've done in the past, regardless of where you are now, regardless of your origins, or it's, it's your originality and it's your path of discovery that there's always more to do. It's interesting. I, just recently, I, a couple of people I've read that talk about the word curiosity, which I think also plays into what you were saying, that they believe that curiosity is a threat, right? So that what you're talking about, absolutely, I find myself a curious person, but too many people are not curious. 
they they look at something and go, oh, well, what are you going to do? And they just carry on. A friend of mine in Hong Kong, who is a friend of People First, talks about people sleepwalking through their lives uh, without actually recognizing those infinite points of places that you could change and head off in different directions. So it sounds to me then you've taken a lot of opportunity of as you hit each of those infinite points, you've gone, ah, we'll go off in a different direction again. Well, they are they are connected points, though. You know, mm -hmm. if you now that yes. you described it, uh, you know, you can say, well, you know, one thing led to another. I was, you know, I was excited about one thing or, or thought about it. And then if you look at it, that's how the picture of your life is. You know, I believe that one of the main theses is, is, is that I have is that we are both the sculptor and the sculpture of our lives. We are the artist and we are the art. We are mm -hmm. both Da Vinci and Mona Lisa. And it's us that we're always constantly evolving. This is not a, hey, I painted it and it's done. We're never done. Uh, yes. So the question is, can you improve upon yourself? Can you be a better version of yourself? And if that's the case, then these dots are connected <laughs> that, that over time you see uh, something that makes sense visually. Now, you mentioned purpose and curiosity. I use the word wonder lost in, mm -hmm. uh, a lot of times. And wonder lost... Uh, I, I picked up from a description of a guy who trained these lead dogs, if you would, or dogs for for the Eskimos, uh, you know. Mm -hmm. Slay so, dogs, yeah. Yeah, slay dogs. And, uh, and he said that the dogs that are, are doing that, they have a sense of wonder loss. And that is a purposeful curiosity to see what is out there. Mm -hmm. A purposeful curiosity to go, to discover. Now, the key element is that you are not wandering without purpose. Your journey is always purposeful. You have the right to change your purpose. Yes. You have yeah. the right to get off the freeway of life anytime to, you know, to go have a sandwich or take a break. But you're still in the journey. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. I like that a lot. So we're going to talk about your second book in a moment, The Authentic Entrepreneur's Way. But your first book, talk a little bit about that, because I think how you describe that kind of relates to these infinite points again, this, this idea of evolving and changing almost in a controlled way, almost driven to change, if they think about the caterpillar. But talk a little bit about that book. And, and am I right in that sort of uh, connection? You sure are. So uh, that book... Let me tell you how I was born, because I think it, yes. it matters why people write something. Mm -hmm. uh, I had, at that point, uh, I'd been a partner of a consulting firm, helped really big organizations, you know, conglomerates of sorts. At that point, I had built one business and sold. I had I had been, as you said, CEOs of multiple companies, startups, investors. And, and what I found was that there's this... There's this misnomer of a lot of stuff uh, when it comes to entrepreneurship, when it comes to actually managing and leading, which is things are constant. Mm -hmm. uh, that, uh, and, and it started with this idea of what is this sustainable competitive advantage? That, yes, at the time, Michael Porter brought this idea that there is sustainable competitive advantage. We want to build a sustainable competitive advantage. That means we're always good. We're going to build this, and then we're going to defend it, and we are going to win. That's nonsense. When the world around us is changing all the time, yes. there is no competitive advantage that lasts forever. It's how we stay relevant. And with that kind of, an, and at that time, I was uh, I, I was part of a strategy group of a uh, of a big consulting firm, 
And I had the opportunity to talk a lot of a lot of CEOs and big companies, and you know, and so combining with my experience with the early stage guys and back to the you know the, to the big companies, uh, I thought that there is a misnomer also around this idea of data and analytics, the idea of artificial intelligence, the idea of where we are, and and that's where the the essence of this need for evolving always kind of was raised, the idea of how do I demonstrate that? And the best example is a caterpillar. A caterpillar does not sleep overnight and become a butterfly. It goes through stages, in some cases, 14 stages, usually three or four stages. And, and the process is gooey. It's messy. It's, <laughs> it's, it's yes. not clean. And there are thousands of, you know, uh, you know somebody could step on it. Somebody, the, the rain could mess them up. They, I mean, the wind could blow them off. There's thousands of dangers that comes their way before they go from one stage to another. And it's messy and it's gooey. Uh, a, a caterpillar, uh, a human has about 600 muscles. A caterpillar has 4,000. Can you imagine that going wow. through that yeah. metamorphosis? Yeah. And, and here's another thing. The idea of the caterpillar is within the first few days of its life, a butterfly lays the egg for the next caterpillar. So the cycle never ends. It's just a cycle that is always going. It's a, so, and that I think is is a is a blueprint that we could follow in terms of our lives and also our businesses and our entrepreneurship. That book was focused mostly on bigger businesses, and uh, it it you know has it's full of examples of a, a lot of stuff around data analytics use and where that is, and I call it the hoopla versus the reality of things. There's the, the book opens uh, with uh, addictions, which is how we, most of us, are addicted to sameness because it's comfortable. Yes. You know, when you get addicted, a lot of us would know that we're addicted. I'm addicted to smoking. I'm addicted to drinking. I'm addicted to whatever, to the sameness of what it was. And it gives me comfort to have that. And it's that comfort. It's not, it's not what I'm consuming. It's not what I'm doing. It's the comfort that comes with it that I'm yes. addicted. And that's exactly the same place where the dangers begin. Yeah, there's a couple of thoughts there. In terms of this idea of your comfort in, you know, don't move the mountain, don't move the cheese. You know, that's where I'm going. I'm, I'm absolutely happy with this. And you think about, you know, I've done more change management programs in my life than I care to admit to. It's always the people that are a problem. It's great. You can see how to change the process. You're bringing technology, whatever you want to do. But the people we forget about. And they're so used to being things in their own ways. And Absolutely. change programs fail because we don't bring people along on that Absolutely. journey. Absolutely. So, so here's, here's the thing. First of all, one of my mottos is don't leave change to chance. Okay? Yes. The second thing is people change for two primary reasons. And this is, you know, you could, you could go back and do all sorts of analysis and, and look at studies and stuff. Two main reasons causes people to change. One is this idea of severity of a problem or an opportunity. Severity of a problem or an opportunity. That is, if I have a heart attack, I'm going to quit smoking. Okay. If there is a big pile of money that I can get, I'm going to work a little harder. I'm going to work differently. I'm going to do something. If the opportunity or the danger is severe enough, I'm willing to consider a change. The second is trust. You want me to change, John? You want me to follow you? I have to trust you. Right. If those two things aren't there, I'm not going to change. So all of these 
on the back end barbecues and the weekends and management training and this. I, I mean, you could change all the systems in the world. If I don't want to change, I don't want to change. You have to show me why I want to change. And that's very personal. And here's yes. the thing, given the world that we are in, given the world and how it's consistently in flux, how it's changing all the time, now we have to change all the time. So it's not a change management every four years because we went from this technology to that technology. If we want to stay relevant, we have to change all the time. Yep. We have to change the rhythm of the organization, how it flows all the time. And what that means is people have to be trusted and they have to trust you. What yes. that means is that they have to see the severity of the problem or the opportunity in their favor. And that's how change happens. Change happens. Let me, let me tell you something else. Change is the best friend we have. Change is the only friend that provides you with choice. If there is no change, there is no choice. If Very it's true. always spring, always 72 degrees, always the same, you're doing exactly the same thing, sameness every minute of every day, then there is nothing that you do. You don't have a choice. You can't fall in love. You can't learn. You can't pursue happiness. There's nothing that you could do unless there is change because it provides a choice. That's really interesting. This idea of corporations creating sort of defensible positions, you know, building the moats, the walls to keep the competition out. A good friend of mine, Jeff Moore, often talks about this idea that exactly what, where you're going to, that it's not about that because as you do that, you will be gnawed and gnawed and gnawed away. You know, the mouse will get in through here, the crow will come over the top of the wall there. And before you are, know where you are, you, you've lost what the company is. And if you look at Fortune 100 companies from 20 years ago, 40 years ago, 80 years ago, they're generally not the same. Yeah, you know, they've changed, they've reduced, etc. We look at a Facebook today and say, oh my God, you know, it obviously is going to control the world forever. And it's not. It, it, you know, something's going to come along that will take it off at the kneecaps and somebody will come in and change it. But it's interesting because what you've just described about that consistent temperature, the 72 degrees, it's always the same. One of the reasons I'm not in Silicon Valley these days is that I feel that Silicon Valley has lost its way. I feel that they've just been on a trajectory. And of course, we're right because we're Silicon Valley. They ignore all the other mini Silicon Valleys and they're down a route that I think personally is wrong. And I wonder whether part of what you're talking about is the reason for that. They've had their success. They're in the 72 degrees. They're wandering along, whatever we say we do, and they can't get out of their head. There might be a different way of, you know, something like data ownership is something which Silicon Valley has a hard time getting its head around. The idea that somebody from Boston or Mumbai or Beijing could have a better idea than them is like, well, no, they better come here so we can really check this out. Any thoughts on that? I have plenty of thoughts on that. You mentioned three or four things. <laughs> so let me start with your where you started of, of, of lots of companies have changed. In 1957, I believe. By, by, uh, by the way, the, sorry, just to, just to interrupt one thing. They've changed, but they, it, because they were changed, Yes. The a, G, a GE didn't change. A, D, a GE was changed. Was changed. That's right. And, and, so, that, and that's the problem, right? Apple changes. Yeah. Other companies don't change Apple. And so that's I think a big difference. Very, and that's yes, a big difference. Exactly. exactly. So in 1957, they created the S&P 500. The S&P 500 on the stock market was, let's pick the best 500 companies and put them in this bucket. Now, yep. three years ago, 
when I last noticed, there were only <laughs> 15% of these companies that were still on the S&P 500. Yeah. What happened to the other one? 15% yeah. is 75. Out of the 500, yeah. they're all gone. Uh, no, granted, some of them were bought, some of them, you know, went private, some of them just just filed bankruptcy. But what you can see is, and and all of those, only two percent are are outperforming the rest. Yes, only two percent are better than average. So, uh, what happened? The CEOs of these companies, or the you know, they just one day they became dumb. <laughs> they were the best. They had the competitive advantage. What happened? They couldn't stay relevant. Yes. They could not stay relevant. So that's one thing that I think in, in, in support of what you were saying. Now let's get to data. So a, a few ideas that I've had, and for example, I have articles and things that I've written around uh, the whole idea of data monetization. Mm -hmm. And uh, I've written about uh, and, and talk about this idea that uh, people should own their own data, uh, just like it's an asset. So mm -hmm. I have to be monetizing that asset. The reason, the fundamental reason that I'm saying privacy, 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 it's mine, is because you want to take it and benefit from it. Now, share that benefit from with me, fine, I'm okay. The problem is that, uh, that a group of companies have my data and your data and others, and they're benefiting at my on my asset. What, can I have somebody come rent a house, rent a room in my house? No. Mm -hmm. So this is one. And this privacy issue has now significantly impacted our global U.S. global uh, competitiveness. And let me explain. Mm. However you want to explain China in, in whatever ways, however camp you're in, the fact of the matter is they had four times our number of papers around AI that we had. At 10,000 two years ago, we had 2,500. The rest of the world didn't have 2,500. Now, people say, oh, they're lying. They're not, you know, they're not real. Okay, half of them are not real. Okay, 75% are not real. At a minimum, they're equal. Now, if you're building an artificial intelligence machine, if you're building a building, you need material. You need cement, you need concrete, you need iron, you need, you need all those stuff to build a house. To build an AI machine, you need data. You need data to be able to get an advancement in AI. Well, we're saying this is my data. This is this company's data. We're not sharing. We're not collaborating. So what we're doing is we're starving our technology and our advancement in the artificial world intentionally. Now, yes. does that mean that everybody should give out everything that they have? No, there has to be an understanding by common man that by doing this, we're really not, we're not helping ourselves. The reason they're able to get ahead is because all of that. So let's figure it out our way, not their way, our way. Of how do we do deal with this? So well, one, of my, one of my arguments for that would be if I actually held my data and shared it with Facebook and Twitter, whoever else wants it, then the decision to amalgamate and add my data to an AI engine is my decision, not Facebook's, Twitter's, whoever, right? So Correct. if I held it all and I said I wanted to contribute to the general AI process, there you go, and repeat that across a few million people, and you've you've got the problem. Correct. But I think I think we've just got so too many companies the, based on data warehouses, mountains, lakes, whatever you want to call them. That's so their of, IP. For example, a lot of diseases can be figured out 
If people yes. actually, if we weren't fascinated, you know, we go to the uh, to the hospital. I have to sign 17 pages of this is my hypothesis. I don't even know what the heck this is. What, yes. what is all this stuff? Why do I have? Why do we have to have an entire hundreds of hundreds of people? Why do you charge me for all of this stuff so somebody doesn't know that I have hemorrhoids? Okay, so they know I have hemorrhoids. <laughs> constantly. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> so does any of this touch on your new book, The Authentic Entrepreneur's Way? I'm feeling that I'm, I'm hearing bits of chapters from this book as, as you're talking. So, Would I be so, right in that? So, so, so uh, it's not as blunt. <laughs> uh, the data stuff uh, you asked about the previous book, the data stuff is concentrated mostly in the in the first book. Uh, mm -hmm. And I end that book with this idea. And this is, remember, this is three, four years ago, 2017, uh, that I said, hey, AI is coming, change is coming. We're going to break these barriers, uh, just like we did in the pandemic. We, we really pushed through all, a, lot of, uh, a lot of resistance points, uh, a lot of resistance that, that people had in terms of work out of home or telemedicine or whatever. Now, uh, the new book, uh, You Are Not Them, uh, is literally about why you're not them. <laughs> and literally about how can you be your authentic self. To be your authentic self, uh, you need to have your personal entrepreneurship philosophy. So the first, by the way, the first chapter of the book is the conclusion. And I'll tell you <laughs> what the last chapter is. It's not a how-to book. It's not, mm -hmm. here's, a, here's, you do this thing. And, and it's, it's relatively, I'm told it's very poetic, uh, you know, there's some really nice, a uh, lot of, I'm, I'm really honored and, and humbled by the comments of some, you know, leaders and, and, and so forth have, have made about the book. But the idea is that it's, it's, a, it's very poetic. It's not your, like your regular normal business book. And it's filled with stories and analogies. So I usually convey ideas through, through analogies. Uh, because I think people can relate to them better because I can express them better. And it's, it's easier as opposed to a lot of verbiage that nobody understands. So the book begins with this thesis that we are all entrepreneurs, every one of us. And I go through this logic of why am I saying that? And the end point is, if you look at it in the 1700s, there was a John Baptist say for the first time he introduced the word entrepreneur. Then later on, another Irish guy came in, Richard Cantillon, and he says, you know, entrepreneur is not what you say. And the way, you know, the first guy defined it is it's, it's some, someone who takes the resource and, uh, and, and takes it to a place where it's of higher yield. The second guy, Richard Cantillon, said, hey, hey wait, wait, that's not just it. But he takes the risks to do that. Mm -hmm. He takes a risk to take something they have, some resource, a position, a situation, takes a risk thinking that that's going to be better. So they move. So they act. And then there's this idea of that entrepreneur is the combination of entre and prender, which is both Latin words. Entre meaning to undertake and prender means to understand or grasp. In mm -hmm. other words, the act of undertaking understanding. The act of learning is entrepreneurship. Yes. Now, with that definition, isn't every scientist an entrepreneur? Every yes. preacher is an entrepreneur? Everybody is. Yes. With, that, with those definitions, my mother was an entrepreneur. She took some resource that she had, the paychecks, and she converted it, managed it into something of a higher yield. 
the higher yield with family happiness. Yes. With those definitions, every student is an entrepreneur. They take what they have, their time, effort, their parents' money, or they, they, they get a lot of loans, and then they spend lots of lots of time in order to get a degree so that they can create a better life for themselves. But they know there is a risk. The fact that you got a degree doesn't mean that you're going to be successful. Right. right? Yeah. So if you take all of those, my definition is entrepreneurship is about pursuit of happiness. However you define happiness. It's about mm. taking what you have, your situation, your position, your resources, and exchange it with something better, where you define what is better, taking some risk. I like that a lot. I do. And it, and it very people firsty in nature because it's, it's saying it's not them. It's you. You get to choose. You get to be who you are. You get to color. You get. Yeah. And this is a talent. And this talent, this gene was, as I said, it's within us. It was from 500,000 years ago. This gene was developed in terms of the gene for us to go. This was a Texas A&M yes. study. The gene to go, to discover. That's how we survived. That's how we thrived. Because we wanted to have choices, because we wanted to get someplace other than where we were, because we wanted to pursue happiness, because we wanted to exchange what we have with something better. That's how we got started. Every one of us is an entrepreneur and we are all genetically designed. We have the talent to evolve and to exchange, but we do it our way. We do it our so way. Here's a wider question for you, right? So the pursuit of life, love and happiness built within American sort of beliefs and thinking has historically been the place where you go to do that, right? It's the beacon that everybody leaves. You know, I'm English. I've lived in America for many, many years. You're from Iran. You're there. It tends to be a melting pot. Do you think that still holds? Do you think other countries are equally good at it? Are we all beginning to learn how to do this? Or is this something that's still predominantly an American uh, benefit and thing. And again, not wanting to get political and thinking about that kind of world, but just as a place of opportunity for an individual to go in and, as Steve Jobs used to say, bend the universe around them to make something better. Is that still the place? So I think your question again holds a few, is pregnant <laughs> with, a with a few comments. <laughs> I have uh, that habit. <laughs> yes. So first of all, when I say we all have that talent, that means wherever we are in the world, it's in our gene. Now, do we all have the ability to practice that talent at different degrees for different purposes? I said, entrepreneurship is about exchanging what you have with something better. Mother Teresa was an entrepreneur, except she chose to exchange what she had for happiness of a lot of poor people. Gandhi was an entrepreneur. Martin Luther King was an entrepreneur. Now, you have an Elon Musk or a Bill Gates, or, and all of them are different. You see, yes. Elon Musk is not the same as, uh, as Steve Jobs, not the same as Warren Buffett, not the same as Bill Gates, not the same as uh, Oprah Winfrey, uh, not the same as Chanel. They're all different. They are different because they have different personalities. They come from different origins, their experiences, where they come from, uh, their wealth. They're not <laughs> being so wealthy. Uh, their girlfriends, their boyfriends, their, the, the way they were treated, the way all of that stuff, the decisions they made, the consequences they suffered, all of that makes them who they are. And they operate the differences. They are successful because they have this personal philosophy that guides them to act in a certain way. So 
the first part of your question is, I believe everybody has it. Everybody can do it. The ones that we look at and we see that are successful is because they've taken those situations and they've turned it around because they have a way that they, they consistently deliver their beliefs and values and their strategies and dreams are guided. Their personalities are matched with what they expect and then they can grow. Now, some may be for money, some may be for wealth, some may be for fame, some may be for whatever. Now, the other question, the other part of your question was, is America the place? Now, I actually wrote a, a few articles that uh, amazingly, uh, this, I don't know what the probability of this is, but uh, I had an idea, I wrote an article and then this got uh, all over the place and it showed up on Newsweek, Independent and USA Today on the same day. What is the probability of, of that? I have no idea. What, but we, And the idea was this, and this was based on this GameStop event that happened recently that a bunch of people yeah. you know, started going on and, and, and they went against it. And, and my point was, you know, we have to move from this idea of capitalism being equal to elitism. Mm -hmm. Capitalism is not elitism. Mm -hmm. Capitalism is rooted in our entrepreneurship ability to take what we have, to take it better, each individual create. And that's what America was built on. Now, here's the fake point that I say. This is the faking that has happened. We've got the government, which we don't want to be socialists. That's a bad thing. So we have delegated the act of socialism to big companies. So we say, we're going to give you a big tax break, Mr. Amazon, Mr. Walmart, Mr. whatever. We're going to give you all this. You go create some jobs. So what's the difference? As opposed to government creating it, I'm giving some money to the others and saying, you create it. That's the same thing. So what we have is a system that's been delegated. And so we need to go from a trickle down to a bubble up where the core competency of America has been. And what I think is going to ensure that consistency that somebody with an idea, somebody with an entrepreneurship dream that wants to apply it to economic factors, wants to has that ability to do that. Yep. Now, the system we have now is, for example, Delta made $4 billion in 2019. And they got money back because of the pandemic, 50 billion, some, I don't know what the number was, 5 billion, some number, 500, I don't remember what the number was, uh, to help them out. What happened? These guys made $4 billion. They distributed it to their shareholders. Go get it from them. Yeah. You made Why money. You yeah. this, is not, this is not capitalism. The capitalism doesn't mean that I take the benefit, you take the, uh, the cost. No. So yeah. these systems are broken, and that puts this whole idea of being able to evolve and being able to apply your talent in America in danger. Yeah, interesting. So off the big picture, back to your book. It's been out since January. Sounds like it's selling like hotcakes. Available in all, all good bookstores, I'm assuming. We can get it on Amazon and all those places. Yeah, so it made it as a bestseller in, in three categories, business and organization and education. And the last one, which I love the most, which is philosophy. Uh, philosophy. An unlikely book of business that would be a best to learn in the philosophy category. Uh, because, again, it's centered around you building your own philosophy. Because you're not Steve Jobs. You will never be him. Because you will never be, be able to. Now, uh, so this is what I'm saying. This, the book is not a how-to book. My intent is to provoke you 
to begin to put the pieces from different places together so that you can stimulate yourself to create your own philosophy because the winners are those who have their own philosophy, not a copy machine. It's interesting. So Jerry Garcia from The Grateful Dead, I was one of his quotes that he came out with is, you know, don't be the best at what you do, be the only one that does what you do. And that plays very well to what you're saying. And this idea, I mean, again, I think it's a very Jobsian thing that sort of, you know, don't follow, just go to where you're going because that's your path. Do you know of a writer called, or actually I'm not sure, a writer, technology consultant, guy called Simon Wardley out of the UK? The name is Um, familiar. He's, he, you'll see him around. He's, he's not a giant name, but he's somebody I find fascinating. He's developed something called Wardley Maps, which allows you to basically draw strategy visually and, and help companies through on that journey. But one of the things that always stuck in my mind, again, resonates with what you were just saying. He said, you, you go into an airline bookstore, and here's the 10 things that great leaders should have. Here's how to become great just like Jack Welsh. Da, 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 da. He says, it's all flawed. He says, because just to follow those 10 steps will not be that because you are different. There's different, as you rattled them off just now, the country, your background, your education, the people, the opportunity, all these things, no matter what you apply, you know, so make sure you get up before six o'clock every day and do your exercise. Well, if you have to get up at four o'clock every day because you're doing a taxi run, then that's hard to simulate, right? So so this whole thing is fascinating. but, yeah. but, but John, what, what has happened to us is we have been trained to be followers of steps. Yes. You know, we confuse life with IKEA. You know, in IKEA, <laughs> you go get a book, bookshelf and they say, hey, put, put piece A to B and screw here. And then boom, you have a bookcase. The, the yeah. Life doesn't work that way. That's life so is true. full of yeah. decisions and consequences. Life is full of change. And that's the good thing about it. It is because yes. it's changing that we have a choice. It is the good thing. So uh, you asked about the book and the elements in it. Let let me tell you. So I talk about leadership in the context of uh, being authentic because leadership is the opposite side or the twin brother of entrepreneurship. If you want to exchange what you have with something else, you have to lead from what you have to something else. It is good to be a follower at times. It's good to lead at times, but you have to lead your way. There are certain things that comes into play. I call them the axioms of choices. Here's a bunch of choices. One is the variability of communication. You don't talk to everybody the same way. If I speak Chinese to you and you don't get Chinese, you're never going to follow me. doesn't matter how many excellent words and big words. Every situation is different. Awareness of the situations. It's not just my situation. It's today is different than yesterday. You have a bad day today as my employee. The life is changing. There is there is this. This, this. My customer is also a human being. He has he's going through all sorts of things. The guy who's purchasing on the other side from me is not a company. It's an individual. He has family. He has people. He has pain. He has suffering. He has happiness. This awareness of situations. Then the issue of, of, of being competent, you know, a lot of people say, follow your passion. Well, my passion is to play soccer because my dad likes soccer. I'm no good at it. My passion is basketball. I'm five foot two. That is a stupid thing to do because I'm not good <laughs> at it. You know, we tell kids, we tell people, follow your passion. Well, no, make what you're good at, your passion. Love yeah. is a choice. It's not genetic. It doesn't happen to you. You make a choice to love. Love what you're good at. Don't Mm -hmm. love what you're not good at. Yeah. 
sort of the ikigai Japanese model comes to my mind as you're saying that understanding, you know, what does the world need? What are you good at? All that model there. This is fascinating. And by the way, it, it, as, as I said at the very beginning, I haven't actually highlighted to the listeners here. You're my third philosopher on this show. It's, the show's not been around that long. I mean, it's almost this is becoming a, a show of philosophy, but your thinking is absolutely spot on. I, I just love your process and how you're reducing things down to such an easy way for people to get their heads around and bring it to them in a way that philosophy often is abstract. And I said this before we even started, it's abstract and you read sort of these philosophers and you think, what on earth are they talking about? The thing about the philosophers I've had on my show, yourself included, is you reduce it down to the individual and what they can do, the thinking that they can apply in very simple ways. So I want to thank you for that. It really I is appreciate that. very exciting. I appreciate yeah. that. I appreciate very exciting that. to have great thought. Before we wrap up, is there anything that we haven't covered off today that you'd like to just sort of bring in? I want to make sure that we get everything out of this that you want to get out well, as well. Well, so. you know, the, the thing that, that you, you see in my book, uh, and I rattle off, uh, you know, some, some chapters or sections, things like create your oceanness, uh, be an ocean, because an ocean provides, connects, and energizes. Be a pilot. Because every pilot every day takes a risk, but some are more routine, some are less routine. It's not dealing with things. Be a dancer when it comes to execution. It's not fighting against execution. It's not, it's not this. It's not going against the grain. It's if, how are you? Every, every entrepreneur, every businessman is at his best when the timing is right to the music of life, to the music of market, to the music of customers, whatever that is. And then I talk about this idea of wonder loss, that we have to have purposeful choices. We have to constantly go after new things. That's how we stay relevant. That's how innovation comes about. And finally, you mentioned something about being action-oriented or, or talking about things. So uh, I guess it's towards the end of the, in the book, I talk about the idea of actuated mindfulness. Now we're in the, you know, they talk about mindfulness as, hey, you're, you know, sitting in a, you know, in, in a room and you're thinking and, you know, being the now. I get that. But it's not the being in the now that matters. It's to be in the future that matters. It's to connect the now to tomorrow that matters. So it's not just being aware. It's actually activating that thing. For example, people say, don't judge. Don't be judgmental. I'll say, don't be judgmental, but you have to judge. If I want to choose between A and B, if I want to choose at the fork of the road, I have to choose to go right or to go left. Judging is good, but when you are judgmental, you're introducing your own bias into the situation. That's being judgmental, but yep. there's nothing wrong with judging. Judging yes. gives you the ability and, to choose. And again, the words being concatenated over time, so that it's exactly the right. same thing. Yes. Exactly right. Yes. So, uh, so again, what I would like to share is this idea of not leaving change to chance, because I believe that we are all have the ability and the talent. It's how do we go from our origins and with our experiences to find our originality and and be the artist and be the art at the same time, be the Da Vinci and Michelangelo and create your own art or, or sculpture uh, as a sculptor, because it's always evolving. Sid. That is just a wonderful conclusion. I want to thank you very much for being on our show today and really excited. I'll be getting your book because I just want to read it. What can I say? Thank you I so am, much for your time. Uh, I am thankful and thank you for having me. We look forward to you joining us next time. And if you found this interesting, 
please do share the podcast. All the links referenced today are in the show notes. If you have any questions or comments, please do not hesitate in connecting directly with John Philpin. Stay safe and stay well. 